One of the most biblical ways to honor moms is to thank God for our moms, just like it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so if you haven't already turned there, would you do that with me? If you need a copy of God's Word, the ushers would be happy to get one into your hands. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. This is going to be the platform for which we apply the entire rest of the message, especially verse 18. Much of our time together, we spend studying the Bible and applying the Bible. This particular time together, we're going to spend the vast majority of it applying these words, precious as they are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Some of you had moms who would have given June Cleaver a run for her money. If you're under 50 or so, you probably don't have any idea who June Cleaver uh, was. She was not a real person. And that's evidently clear as soon as you watch one episode of Leave it to Beaver, which I did growing up, because the tablecloth matched the curtains, which matched her apron. All gingham. June Cleaver. She was awesome. And some of you had awesome moms. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. Others of you had moms who weren't so great. Making such a mess of her life that you vowed as you grew up and became a young adult yourself never to be the same. Some of you had moms like that, didn't you? And one of the first things I want to impress on you this morning is that either way God used your mom true. Whether by positive example because she was awesome or by negative example because she wasn't, either way, God gave you life through your mom. Either way, God showed you what you wanted to be like and should be like, or he showed you what you didn't want to be like and shouldn't be like. Either way, there's cause, there's reason for thanking God for your mom. Not the least of which is that she had you. She gave you life. As bad as you may be thinking that your mom was. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Here it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, His will as a follower of His Son. Give thanks, it says. Not just some of the time, but all the time. In all circumstances. There's an underliner. In all circumstances. Good mom, bad mom, every mom. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks. I thank God that that's not hard for me. Oh, I thank God for that. And I had the opportunity to give thanks for my mom at her funeral recently, earlier this year when she passed away on January 3rd. January 3rd, 2023. Just shy of 82, mom went to be with the Lord after a long bout with Alzheimer's disease. Robbing her of her memory, robbing her of her faculties, more and more and more as the days went by. 
And at her funeral, I shared four things about her for which I am thankful. And I'm going to share them with you this morning, plus one more, in hopes that you'll do the same. Because they were true as mom raised me, and they were true at her funeral, and they're true now. And I trust that the things that were true for you in the past and are true now, that you will not withhold from your mom. And if your mom is already gone, I pray that through this message and by this message, you will thank God for your mom and specifically the things for which you're thankful for. That's the goal of this entire sermon. I hope that you'll thank him because that's where the credit belongs anyway. Five reasons I thank God for my mom. Number one, she taught me how to work and work hard. I thank God for my mom because she taught me how to work and work hard. Especially by example. Example. Something I didn't pick up on until later in life. But as the years went by, I realized that mom was always doing something. I mean always doing something. Cooking, cleaning, teaching, sewing, giving piano lessons, serving on the school board, you name it. She wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty, and I'm pretty sure that I didn't know the half of it. Pretty sure I didn't know the half of all the things that she did in the course of her life to be useful unto the Lord, to be useful in people's lives, to be useful in our family and in my life. Pretty sure I didn't know the half of it. She taught me by example. And she taught me by principle. <laughs> How fond mom was saying, them that don't work don't eat, mister. Complete, complete with the finger wag. Them that don't eat, don't, them that don't work, don't eat, mister. Like if I had a nickel for every time she said that, I wouldn't have to work. I heard it over and over and over in the course of my life, which gives you some insight about how much I resisted working and my brothers as we were being raised. She taught us by principle, embodying Colossians 3.23 to a T. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily, thoroughly, vigorously, enthusiastically, passionately. Whatever you do, work that way as for the Lord and not for men. As if it's only and always unto Jesus because ultimately it really is. Whether you get paid for your work or whether you don't, whether you're digging in your yard or doing something else, it's all for the Lord. And mom taught me how to work and work heartily with him in mind. Example and principle. And then there were times by mandate. I mean, when she just flat out made me work. Like the times when she got me up at 5 a.m. in the morning to pick green beans in some godforsaken field in the middle of nowhere that to this day I think was probably about five miles long, but it was really probably about a quarter mile long. 
But for a kid my age, it just as well have been eternity, just about been infinitely long. You gotta be kidding me. Or how about giving me a quarter for filling a wagon full of sandburrs that I pulled from the yard, speaking of God-forsaken places? A quarter, a quarter. And it wasn't some like little bitty doll wagon. It was one of those big wagons that you would ride in when, you know, the walls were probably, I don't know, what are they, five inches high? They just as well have been 50 inches high for me. That's a lot of sandburrs. And I got a stinking quarter for it. <laughs> though, though, though my brothers, my brothers would say that I was privileged and spoiled because they didn't get anything for the sandburrs they pulled. Lies. And how could I forget the Avon bottles she made me dust? <laughs> Every Saturday morning. I remember times at the Saturday morning breakfast table. My dad would make us breakfast on Saturday mornings. We'd be sitting there and, and we couldn't wait. Myself and my two older brothers, we could not wait to get out to the garage to help dad do whatever dad was doing out in the garage, out of the house. Couldn't wait. And sometimes we were like, hey, hey, Dad, we'd bring it up and hopefully that Mom wouldn't remember that she made us dust the Avon bottles every single Saturday morning. Every now and then we would beg with her. It was like, nope, and nope. Every now and then we'd beg with Dad. And he was like, nope, dust the Avon bottles. Then you can come outside. And I'm not talking about three or four Avon bottles. I'm talking about 30 or 40 Avon bottles. To this day, I hate Avon bottles. But she sure did teach me how to work and work hard. Pulling every single one of them off of the windowsills on which they were perched, wiping them clean all the way around, and she would spot check us. Wiping them clean, setting them back on there, wanting to drop them and break them with every ounce of my being. <laughs> mom taught me how to work. And I thank God for my mom because of that. thank God. Second, I thank God because she taught me how to think and think critically. I'm going to be a puddle by the time I get done with this. She taught me how to think and think critically. Not negatively, but thoroughly. Not trying to find something wrong with everything that comes down the pipeline, but discern all that's right with everything in front of me. All that's being said explicitly and implicitly. She taught me how to think about it. She taught me how to think without even thinking about it herself. I mean, the very thing that Paul tells us to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, he said, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say, he said, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's critical thinking. It's thinking something over for the purpose of understanding. It's thinking deeply and rationally and objectively in order to arrive at the best possible conclusion. It's reading between the lines when there's nothing there to see or hear, thinking critically. 
It's smelling the battle as to the impetus behind what somebody is saying or has written. What, what are they really getting at? What's their agenda? What's the ax that they're trying to grind, as it were? She taught me how to do that. Oh, she didn't, you know, lay out, here's 10 ways to think and think critically. She just did it and forced me to do it as well. She, she taught me how to see past the periphery of an issue and identify the core. Some people learn how to do that in, in school or debate class. A few people learn how to do it on the job these days. I learned it by arguing with my mom about everything under the sun, bless her soul. Everything. I mean, if she said black, I said white. If she said up, I said down. And we did that every single week, all the way to church and all the way home. I mean, I challenged her on everything. Uh, current events, whatever the take was that she verbalized, I challenged her on it. Biblical interpretation, the sermon that we just heard during that particular day. Well, I challenged her on the best way to get from A to B. I challenged her on how to best drive when I was like eight years old. I would press her to defend her position and, and she would stop me short of disrespect on this. And so would dad as we would walk in the house still arguing about something, but I would press her to defend her position and she would press me to defend mine. It wasn't just me questioning her thoughts, it was her questioning my thoughts. She would force me to give a reason for the hope that lies within me without even knowing the verse existed. I thank God for my mom in that respect. I thank God that she came by it naturally. And she didn't let the fact that she had to drop out of high school and go back later and get her GED, her general educational, general education development, sometimes general education diploma. She didn't let any of that keep her from it. She didn't let any of that keep her from feeling inferior or using the God-given faculties to think and teach me how to do likewise. And to this day, I thank God for it and for her because little did I know that it would be so valuable. Little did I know that a day was coming when fewer and fewer people would think at all. Little did I know that a day is coming, is now here, when we have artificial intelligence that I think is going to enable more and more people to never think because we've got something that can do it for us. I thank God for my mom because she taught me how to think and think critically. Third, I thank God for her because she taught me the value and necessity of church. The value and necessity of church as in going to church. Going to church. You're going to be really glad that you're here this morning. 
Mom taught me the value and necessity of church because we were in church every single time the doors were open, and I'm not exaggerating about that. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 20 minutes there in the car ride and 20 minutes back. Good weather and bad, busy or not, when my brothers and I were young and when we were old. We went. We went. Made all the harder because dad didn't go in those days. He wasn't adverse to us going, but he stayed home. And which meant that mom had to get us out the door all by herself. And she did. From the time that we were babies, as I understand, that certainly that as, as I was a baby, as my older brothers tell me, they used to hold me on their lap in the front seat of the car. Car seats weren't even a thing at that time. Praise God for his protection. But mom got us out the door every time on time. I literally cannot remember one time that we stayed home from church. Not one. I mean, mom would have scoffed at the idea of watching church on TV. If the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, like it says in Acts 2.42, we were going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. If they went, we were going. Devote ourselves. Because the Bible says, don't neglect meeting together. I remember her quoting that verse multiple times over. And mom was fond of saying, if God's word says it, I believe it. And that settles it. Which means no more discussion about that. You can question all you want. We're not talking about that anymore. We're going. We're going. And so we did. And over the years... Like her, I found it absolutely necessary, church, and absolutely valuable for life and godliness and fellowship and worship. Not only that, but she taught me the value of serving in church, going to church and serving in church. I mean, as I think back, I didn't even have a category for spectating as I grew up. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to even imagine what that was. You, you know, a category for just coming and going, walking in and walking out. I mean, that's what you do at sporting events. At church, you show up and you get in the game. And that's exactly what mom did. I mean, she was all in. She played the piano every morning. I've tried to be careful about not exaggerating these things. Mom played the piano every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. She taught Sunday school most weeks as well to little kids. I remember her teaching me in Sunday school, have an image of the room that I was in, some of the songs that she would teach us. Which, by the way, as purely an aside here, had I remembered last week talking about hallelujah, that my mom had taught me that old little kid's chorus, hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord, I would have taught it to you as well. You can thank me later that I didn't. 
because we would have been standing up on one side and sitting down on the other side. That's what we did as we sang it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, I, back, pull it back, pull it back. Mom taught Sunday. Mom played the piano in big church. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, she taught Sunday school. She led women's Bible studies during the week. She ministered to the elderly in nursing homes. And she went most weeks that I can remember. While I was in school, I would just hear her talk about it. She went to the nursing home. She did that up until actually maybe the last 10 years of her life. She continued to minister in nursing homes every week. She met with individual women on the side. And she did all of that in addition to cooking and cleaning and raising three boys who would have tested the patience of Job. And we did. She served. She went to church. She got us to church. And she served in church. In fact, up until the last two years of her life, up until the last two years of her life, she was still playing hymns for the other residents in the memory care facility where she lived and still playing hymns for us at our family gatherings. Take a look at this little video. to that. Amen to that. Mom could play and mom could sing. At that point, mom couldn't remember where she lived. She literally could not have told you that. She could not have told you the conversation that she had just had literally one minute previous to that. She couldn't have even told you that it was Thanksgiving let alone the year or anything like that. But mom could still remember how to play the piano and she could still remember the hymns because that's what she had done all her life. And that's what she had done with her life. Worship God in church. And oh, how I thank God that she did and taught me the same in principle and in example. Two more here. Number four. She taught me the good news of Jesus. I thank God for my mom because she taught me the good news of Jesus. Mom led a joy club at our house after school each week. J-O-Y, joy club. We call them backyard Bible clubs here at Corumdale. And before I was old enough to join... She let me sit in. I mean, she couldn't very well tell me I couldn't because I lived there, after all. 
But she left me sit in, and I can still remember the words to that theme song, J is for Jesus, because he has first place. O is for others, we meet face to face. Y is for you, in whatever you do, just put yourself third and spell J-O-Y, joy. Joy Club. Once a week, right after school, the neighborhood kids would run to our house when I got a little older and I was coming from school. In the afternoon, after a full day, first grade on, I would run with them. We would gather in our basement and we would listen to my mom teach us the good news of Jesus. With cutting edge flannel graph, by the way. Cutting edge. And she was good. She was good at teaching. But even better was the gospel itself that she taught. The good news that Jesus is God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins because he loves us, and rose again that we might too. That we might be saved from the consequences of our sin and receive eternal life. That's the good news of Jesus. And after hearing that at one of those joy club meetings, I asked mom how I could be saved. I don't remember a lot about the past, but I remember asking that question. And I remember mom stopping whatever she was doing, putting something down, and we sat down on the bed in the Bedroom, one of my brother's rooms at the time. We sat down right there in the basement, just off of the little room where we had met for Joy Club, and she began to explain it to me over, over again and told me that I needed to believe. Robbie, if you want to be saved, you need to believe. You need to believe in Jesus and what he did for you. And you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin and sinfulness and invite him into your heart. And this was verbiage that a, a five-year-old could understand. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to ask him to forgive you of your sin and invite him into your heart, which she did as she led me in a prayer. A sinner's prayer of salvation. And then, I'll never forget this, she opened her Bible and showed me a verse that even a five-year-old could understand and remember. 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Or, as the old King James Version put it, we love him because he first loved us. And in that moment, I knew that God loved me because in that moment, I loved him. We love, including him, we love because he first loved us. And because I loved him in that moment, I knew based on that verse that he loved me and that I was saved. Saved. How my mom's heart must have soared 
I mean, how mine does now. With gratitude to God for such a heart full of faith that it overflowed and compelled her to teach me and others the most important thing in the entire world. Oh, I thank God for such faith. Thank God for such faith that took the word of God to heart and that it doesn't return void and that the gospel is the power of salvation to those who will believe. Robbie, you need to believe. I don't know for sure, but I think this is the very Bible that my mom used to lead me to the Lord on that day. Something I forgot that I had until I went to my shelf in my office this week when I wanted to check what the King James Version said for 1 John 4.19. And you got to understand, like, I know exactly what the King James Version says in that verse because A, it was the first verse I ever learned, and B, that's how I started learning all my verses. But for some reason, quote unquote, there was this impulse in me to get up from my chair, go over to my bookshelf, and pull my old King James Version off and turn to it and just look at it. And as I started to reach for mine, I recognized that my mom's was right next to it. And so I took that off the shelf, I opened it up to the inside cover, and I had put, sometime back in 2021, this Bible belonged to my mom, Kathy Willie. It is the first Bible I remember her having, and I signed it, Rob Willie, youngest son. It's the first Bible that I ever remember my mom having. So I'm wondering, putting two and two together, I opened up a few more pages, and I found that it was first published in 1969. Mom led me to the Lord on October 26th, 1971. Put that together with the fact that this is the first Bible that I ever remember my mom having, an old Schofield reference Bible. And more than likely, it's the very one that she opened up with me on that bed in the basement to lead me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's more, to this day, I can't get past this, to this day, when I think of 1 John 4.19, do you do this, do this with some verses? When I think of 1 John 4.19, I see it on a page. And to this day, I see 1 John 4.19 in the upper left corner of the left page of the Bible. It messes me way up when I see it in a different place in a Bible. I'm like, that ain't right. That ain't right. So sure enough, I turn to 1 John 4.19. And it's the first verse on the upper left-hand corner of the left page. We love him because he first loved us. What joy filled my heart this week when I rediscovered this Bible that I'd forgotten. And I know that the date is October 26th because just this week, I had never discovered this and never knew it. Just this week, I found a salvation tract with my name on the back of it, written in my mom's handwriting, dated October 26th, 1971. I literally just discovered this Thursday morning. My name 
signed right below a sinner's prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. You want me to have everlasting life. I want this gift. I do just now receive you as my Lord and Savior. That was the day of my rebirth. Apparently, Mom used this in addition to opening up the Bible. And of all the things, one more thing here. Of all the things as I refamiliarized myself with my mom's Bible, I found written a whole bunch of stuff in all of the pages front and back. I found written in almost the very last thing in bold handwriting. If you're going to talk to someone, say something that will last for eternity. Her underlines, her emphasis. If you're going to talk to someone, say something that will last for all eternity. And she did. She taught me the everlasting good news of Jesus. And the rest, the rest is eternity. Four reasons for which I'm thank, thankful for my mom. And then one more. She taught me the importance of biblical convictions. I thank God for my mom because she taught me the importance of biblical convictions. Not believing whatever you want or whatever feels good or seems right. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof, I told you, King James Version, but the end thereof is the way of death. Biblical conviction is not thinking what seems right or feels good or what works, or what's pragmatic or what's expedient or whatever, but thinking what God thinks. It's what God wants, a biblical conviction. It's what God says in the Bible. And she taught me that. She taught me the importance of biblical convictions. Biblical convictions. She knew what the Bible said and she lived by it. Not without fault. Oh man, she would be the first one to say so. And I heard her say that many times as well. Not perfect, but striving in the strength that God provides. She knew the Bible. She knew what it said. She strove to live by it and she had a firm belief in it a rock-solid resolve to apply it in her life, which can only come and did only come from the Lord. She didn't somehow muster that. She didn't somehow just like happen to find that along the way. A rock-solid resolve to A, know and B, apply the words of this book comes from God above, thank God. Because if it was up to us, man, we would just be like, ah, easy come, easy go. And though I didn't realize it at the time, mom taught me the same. She taught me about biblical convictions and she taught me about the importance of them. A lesson I didn't fully realize that she had taught me until, well, just a few years ago. 
backstory on that, my oldest brother is eight years older than me. And my mom got pregnant with him when she was 16. Dad was 17. They were dating. And their sinful, their sinful decisions caught up with them. I've known that all my, li all my life. Mom would use that from time to time to illustrate the truth of be sure your sins will find you out. To illustrate the truth that there are consequences for wrong things that we do. To illustrate the truth that there is redemption to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. She used that many times for many reasons in the course of my life. I knew that. I knew that mom got pregnant out of wedlock. But what I didn't know until later is that her mom wanted her to have an abortion. 1957. Well before it was legal and well before her mom and dad thought much of my dad. And listen, I don't say that to cast a shadow over my grandparents. They were God-fearing people living hand-to-mouth in rural Missouri and wanted nothing more than for their daughter to have the best life that she could possibly have. I don't say that to cast dispersions on them. I would guess that the vast majority of us would be tempted to think and advocate for the same. I say it because my mom, firm in her convictions, refused. As a 16-year-old, pregnant out of wedlock, her whole life crumbling before her and pressured by her mom, she flat out refused to have an abortion. And so did my dad. And so two months later, on December 27th, two months after finding out that she was pregnant, December 27th, 1957, they got married in the home of a pastor, Reverend Tully Archer. Mom wore a street-length dress. I don't even know what that means. What's that mean? Long? Long. <laughs> Brushes the street? I don't know. All I know is that mom wore a street-length dress of pale rose, overlaid with white lace and white accessories, quote, unquote. And I know that because I have this little newspaper clipping. Man, it's my mom's maiden name, Willie, marriage. That among other things says Miss Kathleen Mann, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. K.E. Mann, and Melvin Willie, son of Mr. and Mrs. Merrill Willie, were united in marriage Friday night, December 27. Goes on to say that 
There were two people that stood up for them, and to my knowledge, they were the only two people there in the reverend's home. It's my dad's older sister and her husband who were witnesses. And as far as I know, that's the only public record of their wedding. No picture, no reception, certainly no crowd. And were it not for my mom's convictions, it never would have happened. And neither would this. My brother's family. Five kids, three, I got to get this right, three sons-in-law, two daughters-in-law, and as of a few months ago, 18 grandkids, all of whom are walking with the Lord. Because my mom was firmly convinced of what was right and what was wrong, and she wasn't willing to compromise it. She wasn't willing to compromise it for herself, her family, or anyone. Just steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord her labor was not in vain. I thank God for that. I thank God that my mom is still teaching me the importance of biblical convictions by what she did and didn't do well before I was born. I'm grateful to have shared most of that at her funeral, but even more precious, and I'll end with this, was the opportunity to share it with my mom herself just eight days before she died. Becky and I sat at a small table in, in her memory care facility, holding her hands, me holding one hand, Becky holding the other, and singing hymns, talking, reminiscing, sometimes just being quiet. She wasn't very responsive at that point, but there were a few times that she actually sang along with us. I imagine she couldn't help herself. You know, kind of half whispering, half singing with a slight smile of contentment on her face. But the best moment was our final time of prayer. Mom was slumped over in her chair with her head down, her shoulders down, and slumped over, kind of half sleeping, half resting as we sat there and talked, reminisced, sang, and so on. And, and I just told her how thankful I am that she's my mom. You know, how thankful I am that God put me in her family. How thankful I am that she took me to church and taught me the gospel. How thankful I am that she taught me the power and importance of biblical convictions and for the legacy that she has left. Most of which was met with a subtle squeeze of my hand in hers. And then we prayed. Becky first. Then after a pause, I prayed. And just as I said amen, my mom 
slumped further and over to the side so that her head was now resting on my shoulder. And I thought that was it. I thought she was dying in that moment. Until her mouth started moving and she started praying. Barely audible and barely whispering, but unmistakably praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Because that's what she had done all her life for me. Pray. And it's one more reason that I'm so thankful for my mom. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. What a gift you've given us in our moms. Even those who weren't so good sometimes. Because here we are. Here we stand. You used them, Lord, to influence us, sometimes negatively, sometimes positively, but you used them. And we're so thankful. God, will you spur us on to give back, especially on Mother's Day? Will you spur us on to bless them to love them and encourage them with kind words and a, a life well-lived. Will you spur us on that way, Lord? Thank you for our moms, especially those who prayed for us in Jesus' name. Amen.